Hello, welcome to The Briefing. Thank you for listening. It is Monday, the 11th of May, and this is the show where we get you up to speed every morning with the news that you need to know. Later in the show, we're going to brief you on the deadly COVID-19 outbreak in aged care. Imagine your mother was in Newmarch House right now. To not be able to just sit and hold her hand, it's really difficult. You'll hear Liz's story later in the show as we find out what needs to be done to save lives in our nursing homes. Uh, Let's get into the other big news stories of the day. I'm joined by Annika Smethurst, who got to play tennis on the weekend. I lost Tom and I don't even care. It was just (laughs) so good to be outside doing some exercise. Oh, those simple joys are so great when you are allowed to experience them again. That is great. Let's get into the other stories. Today, Victoria's Premier Daniel Andrews will become the final Aussie leader to outline plans to roll back lockdown restrictions. Yeah, he announced some measures yesterday, as did the New South Wales Premier Gladys Berejiklian, um, and those announcements were along the lines of the Stage 1 measures which were unveiled by the Prime Minister on Friday as part of his three-stage plan. And Scott Morrison seems to want all the states and territories to get back to Stage 3 by July. Now, look, Stage 3 isn't back to normal. It still doesn't include mass gatherings or international travel, but it's almost back to the life we knew back in January. Yeah, and the other states, South Australia, WA, NT, um, the ACT, Tassie, Some of them have already eased restrictions further than New South Wales and Victoria because they've had smaller outbreaks. And there's a lot of excitement that pubs will open in Darwin on Friday. Now, Annika, it was a bit of a strange experience over the weekend, I reckon, having Scott Morrison make that big announcement on Friday, but then not being sure what your state premier was going to do. That led to a fair bit of confusion in New South Wales. I guess a lot of anticipation when we saw that list and we started to see some of the levels we could get to by July. Everybody, of course, wants their state premier or chief minister to move. And uh, the bigger states just are going to take longer to get there. They've got more people, more cases. So if you're in New South Wales and Victoria, I think it's going to have to be patience is the key. Do you think it was the right way to handle things? Obviously, it's never going to be easy to do this in a simple, consistent way. And obviously, each state has had a different experience with the virus. So um, they need to be more or less conservative based on that experience. But to have the leader of the country telling you one thing on Friday, but not giving you a clear timeline and then not being sure when your premier was going to announce how things would be wound back in your state, it led to a lot of confusion, I reckon. Look, there's been a lot of criticism throughout this about how our federation works. And it really is a sort of quirk of history that the states actually do have the power in this. And The federal government really don't have a lot of power, but that list was agreed to by all the states and chief ministers and ticked off on Friday. It's now up to them to sort of work out the the minor details of this. So it's annoying and frustrating, and I do understand that, but the federal government don't have a lot of power here, and they want things up and running so they can collect some money again. So did they do this in a way that put pressure on the states to roll back the the lockdown measures? Because that's how... looks that they said, well, this is where we want to get to. And then the people in those various states turn to their premiers and wait for them to react. So the onus is on them now to follow that plan. Look, I think all leaders, both the prime minister and all the state leaders want to get back to normal. I just think it's there's more at risk, I guess, in in certain areas. And this has always been a frustration. You know, if you live out in regional WA, you haven't had any cases and you've you've wanted to, you know, ease restrictions there. And instead, we've had sort of mass state ones and mass ones around Australia. And I think this is probably getting the balance right about, you know, putting restrictions in place where there's bigger outbreaks and in parts of Australia where it's free, letting them get on with their lives. 
There were lockdown tensions on the streets of Melbourne yesterday with over 100 people protesting the lockdown and some of those protesters were holding up conspiracy signs referencing things like COVID hoax and pandemic 5G. Now here's what Australia's Chief Medical Officer, Professor Brennan Murphy, said about that. There is absolutely no evidence about 5G uh, doing anything in the coronavirus space. I have not unfortunately received a lot of communication from these conspiracy theorists myself. It is complete nonsense. 5G has got nothing at all to do with coronavirus. Yeah, that's the Chief Medical Officer Brendan Murphy there, obviously not sounding too happy. All up 10 people were arrested and two police officers were injured in the protests. Yeah, you got a feel for those police officers having to arrest people or, you know, handle people in the time of the coronavirus. Um, there was a smaller protest in Sydney. Dozens of people hit the streets there. The arrest of an anti-vaxxer mother made international headlines after she was ripped from her screaming four-year-old son and loaded into a police van. Yeah, pretty confronting footage there to be blasted all around the world, but New South Wales police say they didn't tell the whole story. That lady was approached by police, asked to provide some particulars, so a very simple process could then take place. Uh, and for whatever reason, she chose to become quite hysterical. And speaking of vaccinations, the Australian Rugby League Commission Chair Peter Volandis is expecting the Queensland government to confirm it will also let NRL players refuse flu vaccinations if they sign a waiver. That's two days after two Gold Coast players were stood down for saying no. Nearly a million Australians have already lost their jobs because of the coronavirus. Some pretty confronting new modelling out today is warning that unemployment may not return to pre-pandemic levels for another four years. It's expected to spike at around 10% in June and accounting firm Deloitte says we won't get back to the 5% jobless rate till 2024. Look, we'll find out more about this in Parliament this week when Treasurer Josh Frydenberg gives an updated economic outlook to Parliament tomorrow. So stay tuned for more in this space, but huge figures there, Tom. Yeah, and what, what do you think will be the impact of those figures coming out? Last week we heard the big figure that this pandemic is costing us $4 billion a week. When we hear more bad numbers this week, Will that change policy? What what impact do you think that'll have? Look, I think no way is the government underestimating um, how much of an impact this is going to have on the lives of Australians. And we've also heard about the mental health impact such job losses and a recession could have. So, look, we might be getting out of restrictions early, but this thing is going to have a long tail. And do you want to get nude online? I mean, lots of people do that already, but this could be for, for an artistic reason. Um, American photographer Spencer Tunick is looking for Aussies to do one of his trademark naked photo shoots, but this one will be quite different. Yeah, Tunick, who photographed 5,000 people stripping down outside the Opera House during a visit here years ago, is back and he wants dozens from down under to strip down again for an online series called Stay Apart Together. Yeah, if you want to get involved, you can get the details on his Instagram account. Mostly his work, Annika, involves nude people getting very close together. Obviously, we have to do something different here. Yeah, social distancing 1.5 metres away. I don't know if it'll have the same effect, though, as all those bodies crammed together. Yeah, well, I get the idea he wants to, you know, people to do it in their own homes, in that sort of webcam kind of style, potentially. But I have looked at um, back over some of his work. He did something on a Swiss glacier 
where there was social distancing. Some of his photos have people almost looking like the poster telling you how to keep socially distanced at the moment um, through art. So, you know, maybe he could do that as well. Art reflecting our time. I love it. All right. Thanks for that, Annika. Let's move on. It's time to take a look at what's happening in our aged care sector. You are listening to The Briefing, and right now we're going deep on old people in the pandemic, and Jan Fran joins me. Jan, have you been able to see your grandma? Look, I have only very recently. For the past few months, though, I've had to wave at her from a distance, from my balcony, like some kind of demented Juliet up there, you know? We know that older people, Tom, are super vulnerable to the pandemic, and certainly the unfolding disaster at the aged care facility Newmarch House has really brought that into focus. Death toll from the coronavirus plague Newmarch House in Western Sydney has left families of residents heartbroken and searching for answers. You just can't help but feel that they're all going to be lost. Families devastated after another death was confirmed this afternoon. This came after a scathing review was handed down by the Aged Care Commission. Two more staff tested positive. One, they learned, still working in the home this week. Yeah, as of Friday, 16 people have died from COVID-19 at Newmarch House in Sydney's west. The total number of nursing home deaths in Australia is 24, which is a quarter of the total deaths. Yeah, I mean, that's a, that's a huge number. And we know that older people tend to have underlying health conditions, and of course, that does make them particularly vulnerable to COVID-19. But those in aged care facilities are actually even more so. So in Europe, the World Health Organization says that around half of all coronavirus deaths are residents in aged care facilities. Yeah, so let's find out why this is happening, what makes these aged care facilities so dangerous, and how can we safely visit our grandparents? Well, Liz Lane's 84-year-old mother, Rose, is a resident in Newmarch House. Now, so far, Rose has tested negative for COVID-19, but Liz says that that has been little comfort, frankly. Uh, Liz is with us now. Liz, your mother is bed-bound. She has dementia. Uh, You've been told, actually, that she has less than a year to live and she is in Newmarch House right now. What has this been like for you? Uh, it, It has been so... So draining. Um, you know, the first word actually that sprang to mind when when you answered me that was her, was horrific. So she's already not doing well, and now you know that there has been several cases of COVID nineteen in the aged care facility where she is. I mean, how does that make you feel, knowing your mother's condition already, and now to have this on top of that? I've been really so scared for her because when you say there's been a number of cases, it's nearly half of the residents at Newmarch have been affected. And in, when, when it very, very first started, I sort of felt, well, look, Mum, we just decided that Mum would, would, would remain in bed. And so as one of the less mobile residents within the home, I sort of felt that she was a little bit less at risk than the others, if you like, because she didn't have the same movement, so there wasn't the same exposure for her. And so I didn't join. They had a silent protest at Newmarch at four o'clock every day. You know, family members were were getting down there once we started hearing about the deaths um, because we weren't getting a lot of information. And I'd stayed away initially because I felt that the, the residents were in a beautiful home and the staff there do go above and beyond. You know, I think you've got to be pretty special to work in aged care to start with. It's a pretty thankless sort of a job. But... As we started to lose more residents, then that's when I started going down and was talking to other family members and starting to hear more stories from them about what's happening. Then I started to become really scared for mum. 
there were really significant staff shortages that had to lay off, not lay off, sorry, stand down roughly 60 staff members. Liz, have you thought about getting her out of there? I, I did. I, I gave it some real thought. The biggest problem that I have is that what would I do with her? You know, it takes two staff members to change her. It takes two staff members to clean her. She needs help with the food. I'm a single parent, so there's only myself and I've got a nine-year-old daughter at home. I've got no other family support around to help with that. No other residents in New South Wales, no other aged care residents is going to want to touch them because they come from Newmarch. I very much doubt that I'd be able to get any care assistance at home for similar reasons. You know, she's got to go into 14 days isolation. I couldn't give her any care, really. So what do you have to say to management about your experiences? There's never been any question about just how dedicated the actual staff on the ground are. The staff that are in there helping our residents every day, they've always been fantastic. Um, and even the ones that they're getting on a temporary basis, you know, to, to keep turning up every day to somewhere that's got COVID-19 and to, you know, to help even the residents that are negative that need a lot of help. They're fantastic. The first two weeks of all of this were just, it was really quite terrifying, to be honest, yeah. because we were ringing up and the phones were ringing out. There was no answers from anybody. I've only spoken to mum probably three, four times at best in the last three and a half weeks. I've seen her twice and that sort of contact, especially for a dementia patient, is just not enough. What was it like visiting her? When was the last time you saw her and what was that like for you? I actually saw her yesterday. It had been a week since I last saw her. Her confusion and the decline is, is just so obvious. The visits were two metres apart from each other. Um, it's behind two levels of cyclone fencing. Um, we have to wear face masks. And of course, that just makes it really difficult for mum to speak. It's an irritant. She doesn't understand why she's got to wear the mask. Yeah, to not be able to sort of sit on a bed and hold a hand and offer her some comfort, I guess. That's the hard part. Yeah, you're already dealing with your mother having dementia and now you're dealing with actually not being able to see her and, and touch her and be close to her. And I can't imagine what that's like. What would make this situation better for you, Liz? At this point, the only way it's really going to get any better for me and for mum is that we're going to be able to have proper... Sorry. No, it's all right. It's to have proper visits again. And, um, of course, we can't do that for the moment. Um, really, for mum, it makes no difference whether she's COVID positive or not, really, at this point, because we're losing her anyway. Mm. Um, so, yeah, so... At this point for me, you know, I need to be speaking to her every day or every other day and I want to be able to visit without the two-metre distancing. Even if we're wearing masks, I don't mind that. But to not be able to just sit and hold her hand, it's really difficult. Yeah. Oh, Liz, we really feel for you and we hope there is some way that you get some really intimate moments that you can share with her in these final months of her life and in this, you know, incredibly difficult situation. Thanks so much for talking to us and sharing your story. Thank you. Thank you for giving us the opportunity and for keeping all of what's going on sort of out there because it's only been with this sort of publicity, unfortunately, that I think any real change has come about. So yeah. as hard as it is, it's been really important to tell our stories. You can really hear the pain there in Liz's voice. It's a very difficult situation, no doubt. Yeah, it raises the big question, how do we solve this visiting dilemma in aged care facilities and also what will be the fallout from Newmarch House and how do we make sure more people don't die there 
Ian Yates runs an organisation called Councils on the Aging. They basically advocate in the interest of old people in nursing homes. Ian, we just heard Liz, who's desperate to see her dying mother. How do we get this right? How do you think visits in aged care facilities should work? Well, we have uh, led the development of a code for visitors, uh, which is in the process of being finalised. We've been consulting on it uh, over recent days following its acceptance last week by National Cabinet. Um, And that sets out a process for that. And certainly people who are near the end of life are the highest priority in terms of visits. Facilities can set up safe visiting, uh, either uh, in a residence room or in another safe room, uh, and applying very strict hygiene procedures to visitors, which visitors need to agree with. In that context, for example, of people who are used to coming in and spending time with a relative, helping them uh, with behaviours, helping them with feeding and so on, those are the areas in which there just ought to be no question that facilities should be facilitating those visits. So you're saying that facilities should actually aid uh, families who want to spend more time with their loved ones, who want to be close to them, who might want to sit next to them, hold their hand, feed them. You're saying that should be allowed to happen? Yes, and I'm also saying that there are many aged care homes around Australia who have been doing this throughout this COVID-19 period. Yeah. Other aged care homes have had outbreaks as well and, and they've contained it at a far earlier stage. How did Newmarch get it so wrong and, and who's responsible here? First thing to be said about Newmarch is that it was a very unusual situation in that a worker worked for uh, six shifts before anybody knew that that worker was positive. Clearly over six shifts, you're going to interact with a lot of residents and a lot of staff. Uh, the full implications of Newmarch will be the subject of various reviews Uh, There are clinical reviews of this. I'm sure that the Aged Care Quality and Safety Commission will be doing an in-depth review and and has taken actions in recent days itself. Uh, The Royal Commission into Aged Care has indicated it will be reviewing Newmarch. So, you know, it's not for me to fully answer that question because what I would say is that what it tells us is the need for uh, aged care facilities to be doubling and tripling their efforts with regard to control of staff entering and leaving their facilities. Uh, It has to be extremely rigorous. So it is about ensuring that staff understand that at any sign that they may have anything, they ought not be coming into the facility. And I would say that applies as a general rule anyway. Um, You know, we don't want people bringing any kind of disease into an aged care facility. That was Ian Yates there, who is an aged care advocate. And I think if this story has driven home anything, it's the idea that you should probably get in touch with your grandparents. You should probably get in touch with your older relatives in your life, because even if they're not in an aged care facility, they're probably self-isolating. Maybe they haven't seen family in a while. Maybe they live alone. It's really important to reach out, I think, and they'd probably appreciate that. Yeah, they need to be extra careful and they need extra love in a time like this as well. Exactly. Tomorrow on The Briefing, we look at reskilling in the lockdown. Could free education be the solution to the coronavirus recession? That is on tomorrow's episode of The Briefing. Subscribe on the Podcast One Australia app or find The Briefing podcast wherever you normally get your podcasts. Thank you so much for listening. We'll catch you tomorrow. A Podcast One production.